Well, more optimism today as the U.S. earnings season pushes off and the anticipation of U.S. CPI numbers later today as well. So once again, COVID takes a back seat. And yet we are seeing more caution from central banks. Christine Lagarde has said the ECB's PEP program uh, will continue in some form or other from 2022. And with COVID so close to home, could the RBNZ be pushing back their timeline as well? It's Tuesday, the 13th of July, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, banks and real estate have pushed U.S. stocks higher this morning, more than 0.3% up for the Dow and the S&P 500, 0.2% up for the Nasdaq, all heading for record closes today. The Eurostox 50 also up 0.6% this morning. And you can send your boss into space, but it won't hold your share price up for long. Virgin Galactic down 17% this morning. But I think that's more to do with the fact that they want to raise half a billion dollars uh, through raising more shares to fund more flights. Uh, the U.S. dollar on the DXY up ever so slightly, about 0.15%. The Aussie down about the same to be low 75 US cents. The pound down a similar amount. The euro and the yen also down about the same amount, but no massive moves anyway, really, in currencies. Uh, the same deal with bonds. Hardly any movement in treasuries or government bonds in most of Europe, a uh, bit in southern Europe. Aussie 10 years are down four basis points, though, to 1.31%, five basis points below US treasuries. I think that that is the highest spread below treasuries. Uh, since the pandemic started. If not, they're very close to it. And oil is down half a percent for WTI, 0.3% down for, for Brent. Uh, Rodrigo Cotrill is here today, senior FX strategist now in Sydney. Certainly no lack of confidence in the markets, is there? I mean, equities up, uh, but of course it's earnings season about to kick off, so I guess that's helping, isn't it? Uh, they'll be hoping for good results and good forecasts that are going to reflect the valuations of these stocks. Uh, but it could go the other way, of course. Morning, Phil. Yes, uh, certainly um, there's been a positive start to the new week and uh, um, the earnings reporting season really kicks off tonight with Goldman's, JP Morgan and, and Pepsi as well actually reporting. Um, and as you say, it appears that the market is already sort of pricing in uh, sort of a good outcome for, for banks in particular. Um, and, um, um, and I suppose the, the, the other interesting narrative there is that we also seen, uh, a recovery that has come also from, from Asia. And that's probably linked to, to, you know, the news of the reserve, uh, cut that China did over the weekend. So, so it's a little bit of sort of a, a positive momentum, if you like, from to, to start a new week, which is not just about the, uh, any reporting season, but certainly it points to, uh, the market, uh, positioning themselves for for good outcomes in that regard. Yeah, and that positivity spilling over to European stocks as well. Well, actually, not interestingly, not in the UK, but in continental. You can sort of understand maybe there's a bit more pessimism in the UK. Well, in England, at least. You know, you can understand why they might not be feeling very positive in England <laughs> today, perhaps. And maybe, <laughs> I don't know whether that, gets, whether that gets reflected in the share market or not. Yes. You know, the, the, the Italians have outperformed in terms of equities <laughs> and, and bonds as well, if you, if you must know. You know, BTPs were, were lower, um, uh, a bit more, more so than, than gilts. So... Mm. Uh, it's to, been an all-round defeat, if you like. <laughs> Just to rub salt to the root. All right. Now, look, Christine Lagarde, while we're in Europe, she's been talking about changes coming for the ECB uh, with uh, guidance at their next meeting, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because they they quickly pushed out that uh, announcement about their strategy review last week. That was all a bit of a surprise. I mean, why would they do that? Why would they push it so quickly unless they're expecting to say something at the next meeting? Well, yeah, that was an interesting thing because uh, there, there was a lot of speculation what, what the did the whole new strategy mean in terms of uh, policy? And and now Lagarde is really kind of telling us, well, it actually does mean something. And it does mean not only more flexibility, but it means that in particular in terms of the, the PEP program or the quantitative easing program that the ECB has, is that it won't end 
in March 2022 that there will be something that will come thereafter and it's likely to still be, you know, some sort of form or quantity that will be supporting the, the bond market there in, in, in Europe. So it's certainly dovish and it's certainly kind of placed to the view that the new strategy allows the ECB to be more flexible in that regard. Um, but we haven't seen big movements in, in, in the Europe in particular. And I think to some extent, um, you know, we got to remember that Europe and the challenge of Europe to lift inflation towards 2% is, is actually a significant challenge. Um, and the market is probably going to have to wait to see if they can actually get there um, before really pricing in any, any consequences. Yeah, from that. it's a huge variation, though, isn't it, around the world, the expectations for when tapering is going to start, when interest rates are going to rise. Uh, you know, we, in some cases, we're looking at a year or more in terms of the, the difference in the expectations. I mean, that, that it can't surely happen with such big differences, can it? Well, particularly when you look at sort of countries with similarities or close, close to each other. Mm. So, for instance, there's a big variation between New Zealand and Australia, and, and typically yeah. they tend to move together. So, so it's certainly is something to be aware of from a historical perspective. Um, but the position as well is are very different. You know, you look at New Zealand, they do have high inflation and the data is pointing to the risk of, you know, high inflation staying there for quite some time. Whereas in Australia, for instance, inflation is still very subdued. And, and there's no evidence yet of, of a risk that there will be a shut up in inflation. So, um, the differences are, are, do have sort of economic fundamental support in them. Um, but you're quite right in pointing out that history tells us that they, they don't tend to be deviating so much. Um, um, you know, it's, it's quite unusual in that. So regard. look, you've got the lockdown in Sydney. Obviously, I mean, this could go on for weeks now, couldn't it? We had 112 new cases yesterday. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a bit of a move to, to government bonds as a result of that. Um, so, uh, I mean, two questions on that. I mean, could it push back? In? And I know we're talking a long way before we look at rate hikes in, in Australia, but could it push that back? But also, I mean, could it have a, a spillover effect on New Zealand as well? Where, you know, as we're saying, they're, they're expecting to, to move that much faster. But if they lose, for example, Aussie tourists and, le- and less trade uh, from this side of the, of, of, the, uh, of the Tasman, could I mean, could that impact the expectations for rate hikes over there? Yes. Yeah, so, so I suppose the first part of your question is that one of the highlights uh, post a big lift in, in pricing expectations of the Fed. Uh, you know, we had the FMC minutes and eventually the dots that kind of pushed up uh, yields in the front end of the U.S. curve. Um, but that wasn't just a U.S. story. It was a, a story that kind of was reflected in many other central bank pricing, including the RBA, where a lot of expectations of rate hikes were brought forward. Um, so in terms of the pricing in the front end of, uh, uh, you know, the Aussie curve, um, that it was quite aggressive. You know, we, we had even the hints of pot- potential for, for lifting in rates in 2022. And yet the RBA has come out saying, no, we, we're not there yet. We don't see the, the, the base case scenario for a lift in, in, in rates until 2024. So, um, now with the virus story, there's certainly room, if you like, for a push uh, back on in terms of those, those expectations. Um, and then the other theme, of course, which is not just an Australian theme, is, is the virus story. You know, there's a lot of concerns around the potential for the Delta variant to, to really run rampant, if you like. Um, and, uh, and there's a big distinction between t- countries that are, have high levels of vaccination, like the UK, that are they're aiming to have a reopen strategy. Um, and countries like us that, that we have very low level of vaccination. So, um, in that regard, you could argue that the New Zealand, um, um, you know, central bank thinking, they, they have room and arguments to say, well, yes, we do have an inflationary problem. The, the, the economy is close to full employment. 
Um, but there's also a lot of uncertainties. And I think that we're starting to see a little bit of evidence of that sort of cautiousness mm. being priced into the market as well. Well, the NAB business survey for June is out today. We saw business confidence fall in May. I mean, still at very high levels. Uh, I mean, I guess this could change with the Sydney lockdown, of course. But this survey, uh, I mean, this is this was done, wasn't it, at the end of June? So actually, it was, the, the, the Sydney lockdown isn't going to have much impact. Yeah, there's probably going to be um, – the Sydney lockdowns won't be enough to – to capture, if you like, the timing of it, um, it won't, won't capture that. Um, but I, I suppose the the general theme there, and which we expect, although we don't know what the survey is going to say, is that uh, you know the the um, um, confidence and conditions, business conditions, remain pretty strong uh, in Australia. Uh, so it would be surprising if if that wasn't the case. So we have to wait and see what the numbers show on, on uh, later this morning. Right, China trade data today. That's probably the most uh, interesting figure, perhaps. Well, apart from you know, US CPI, that's going to be pretty important too. But let's look at the China trade data first uh, because uh, we, we talked about slight bouncing credit yesterday. So maybe more investment is happening, but is it spinning off in exports and imports? That's the question. Yes, that, that, that is the question. I mean, there's, there's a this base effects playing into the headline numbers. So we'll, you'll have to kind of digest and play around with the, the details of the numbers in order to work out. But it's certainly, there's, there's a couple of themes there. The, the market is focused on, on the strengths of the domestic side of China, whether the, the consumer side is, you know, and the, the engine, if you like, uh, in, in China is, is still going strongly. Um, and then also, you know, yet again, uh, what is the composition of that surplus that is expected to be $44.75 billion? Uh, again, highlighting uh, the huge demand coming from, from the U.S. and no doubt. Uh, and and, and you'll see a bit of headlines around sort of how anything's changed or if anything has changed at all since, you know, the Trump uh, trade war. Uh, which continues to show big, big buying from the US uh, and not quite the recipro- reciprocation coming from China. Yeah. Now, look, if that doesn't move markets, uh, well, we know US CPI can do it. Well, you know, we've sort of all learned to accept that the inflation is a transitory argument. But if this number is high, I mean, it's not expected to be as high as the 0.7% month-on-month rise that we saw in June. But if it, if it is, or if it's higher... Uh, even though we've got that transitory argument, I mean, we could see some people freaking out a bit, couldn't we? Yes, um, certainly. We've, we've seen that before. And, and I think, if anything, it's, it's, again, the details. You know, so if, if it's higher, why is it higher? Is it higher again because of hotels and rent cars and so on? Then people are going to say, oh, yeah, this is part of the transitory narrative. But if it's higher because of, you know, housing cost, uh, is it higher because of wages or cost of labor and so on, then that would change the narrative onto more longer lasting upward pressures in prices. Uh, and, and so, again, the details will be very important. Well, I mean, we had uh, Fed speakers out in force, didn't we? Uh, well, we've got a few out today, but we had Williams uh, out uh, in the last 24 hours uh, just on that, saying it's hard to decipher, you know, what is the persistent underlying inflation factors and what are those temporary measures? Uh, but... He was saying, you know, the average inflation policy doesn't mean we're going to see hikes that are going to be steeper. But he's bound to say that, isn't it? Because if they're caught out, well, of course they're going to be steeper. What he's saying is, well, we're not going to be caught out. Well, yeah. So I suppose there's different ways of interpreting that. And and, and the first thing is that it seems to be a bit of a response to um, the ex-New York Fed, uh, Dudley, who has been gone on record many times now uh, suggesting that because of this new strategy, as and when you, you see the need to start lifting rates, you've got to be prepared for like quick and, and very high increases in, in, in the cash rate or on the funds rate. Um, mm. Williams is sort of pushing back on that and says, no, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, it, it, you know, 
I think the flexible approach also means that they have more flexibility in terms of, you know, getting to their, their goal. Um, and, and I think Williams is sort of reminding them that it doesn't necessarily mean that when you start lifting the fund rate, you, you'll have to be very aggressive and very quick, um, which, is, which is an interesting dynamic. And the other one, which is also worth pointing out, is that he seemed quite adamant that clearly right now we have not yet achieved those sort of goals in order to start discussing tapering as well. So he's certainly on the, on the dovish yeah. side and he's certainly one of the influential members within the FOMC. So it's worth pay, paying attention to what he says. So what about Kashkari? We've got Bostic, we've got Ross and Gren uh, all talking as well in the next 24 hours. Will uh, Worth listening out for? Yeah, certainly, because, you know, we want to see whether, you know, the, the narrative is changing, particularly from the Hawks. Um, you know, there's, there's concerns around the Delta variant in, in the mid part of the US. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether there's any change in that, which will, again, will be important for Fed expectations as well. Well, the NFIB optimism index is always fairly hawkish, isn't it? Because it's small business and they're, they're, they're very hawkish people. Uh, that's out uh, this evening as well. Uh, 99.6 last time. Lots of optimism. But of course, uh, you know, that, that's based on where we're going from where we are now. I mean, it ignores where we've just been. So uh, it's always going to be strong, isn't it? Yeah, it's not expected to change significantly. Mm. So uh, no major surprises at least expected coming from, from that one. Right. Good. Well, we'll leave it there then. In that case, we've, we've said <laughs> enough. Good, good story, Rodrigo. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Cheers, Phil. And that's it. Tuesday morning on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.